Walking in the light. First John and the path to living deeply in Christ. This is part 26. I want to talk to you this morning, maybe next Sunday morning as well. Keeping the spirit of bondage out is the topic. Keeping the spirit of bondage out. And I think you'll see where that title comes from. The text is 1 John 5, 18 to 20. So here and at home, get your Bible, however you have it, whatever form. Always have a Bible. 1 John 5, 18 to 20. Let me just read. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. A habitual commitment to a pattern of sin. He doesn't do that. Not the one born of God. But he who is born of God protects him. And I love this phrase. All sorts of talk about Christians and the influence of demons. Would everyone read those words with me that I circled? The evil one does not touch him. Those are good words, church. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And if you think that's contradictory, it's not. You'll see in a minute. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. So when we sing, you're the one true God, we aren't making it up. Do you see that? Jesus Christ, the one true God and eternal life. Let's just pray. We will not give our minds to anything this week as important as this. So this takes our best thinking, our best hearing, and our best openness to your Holy Spirit. So bless your precious word to all of our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't have to know everything to walk with Jesus in this world, but you have to know certain things really well. Our text today, it's a, it's a model, really, of conciseness, priority, John points out three certainties. I hope you notice them. Three certainties upon which the Christian walk has to be founded. And I chose the title, Keeping the Spirit of Bondage Out, because these are also the three truths by which the Christian life is sustained. So it's not just how you come to Jesus, it's how you walk with Jesus. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years. John is talking about that. All of the three things that we need to know, they start with the words, we know. Let me just give you a picture of them. First verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Number one. Number two. We know we are from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
we know. Number three, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so we may know him who is true. That's in verse 20. So this is, this is a picture of the certainties of the Christian life. It's, it's the essentials. where You can't give close attention to many, many things. Probably there isn't time for that, or at least John knows we might not make time for that. But these three truths Christians need to know and apply with uh, ongoing persistence. By that I mean, I, we, must start each day rehearsing these truths. I mean, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the spyware. I guess you don't call it that anymore. On your computer. It, it's, it's not enough just that it's there. It has to be installed and it has to be running regularly. These things that we know... They have to be operating in the background all the time, even when we're doing other things. These are the uh, spiritual immune system to keep the power of the enemy out. And here's something important to remember. You don't have to deny any of these truths to lose ground spiritually. Just leave them in the corner of your mind, unstirred, unrehearsed. That invites disaster. I have, I have two points in this teaching. We're going to look at just one of them this morning and one of them next Sunday. It comes from that first thing that we know. Point number one, set your heart each day to not commit any sin. It's in that 18th verse. And we know... That everyone who has been born of God, a Christian, does, does not keep on sinning. John makes this really fundamental point about holiness in this verse. But, but it's, it's important to notice the way he says it. It's the way he just assumes the point. We know we know anybody who's professing to be a Christian doesn't keep on sinning. He's saying, well, of, of course we know this. This goes without saying. This is so obvious, I probably shouldn't have to tell you, John says, because we all know this. It, it's just the assumption. Of course, it's a given that no Christian would even think about persisting in some sinful course of action. It's, it's the bluntness with which he says it. It just jars me a little bit. It almost catches my casual sort of mind a bit off guard. I wonder, I wonder sometimes if this truth still registers with me the way it's supposed to register with me. I wonder if Cedarview Community Church, I wonder, do we know this? Do we really know this? You're following Jesus. It's, it's almost shocking to us. I had, this wasn't recently. Going back now over a year, I had uh, uh, a woman in my office. And she was, you don't know her. 
She was uh, living in fornication. We don't even use that word anymore. And justifying it, and justifying it. And she, she was stunned when I said to her, you know what, if you keep living like this, you're going to go to hell. Does that jar you when I say that? Like our, our brains don't think that way anymore, do they? John says, Here, here's, what we know for, here's what we know for sure. Anybody who knows Jesus will never continue in sin. John says, it's just, we know that. Of course we know that. That's a given. That's obvious. I wonder if we know this like we know the alphabet. And that's really a good comparison. Because the alphabet is something you have to know in the sense that you never unknow it. You remember the alphabet song? Let's sing that great hymn of the church. Start it with me. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah, what a song. For those of you that couldn't hear it at home, they were actually singing it. You don't sing it anymore. But you still use the alphabet. You use it every day. You use it in every email, every tweet, every text, every newspaper. When you read a map, when you read a book, when you read a stock quote, when you read a newspaper, uh, um, a restaurant menu, you... You, you know the alphabet in the sense that it enables you to know a whole bunch of other stuff because you know it so well. So in other words, if you don't know the alphabet, it's not just the alphabet you don't know. There's a host of other things you don't know. So many other things in life just won't work. You don't know the alphabet. Knowing the Christian doesn't continue in sin. It's kind of like knowing the alphabet. Nothing else works in the Christian life if this truth isn't running in the background. We know that no Christian is going to just continue willfully in sin. We know that. It's like, it's like if I don't know that, I don't just lose that truth. I lose everything else as well. The Christian is not, is not just a person who has his or her sins forgiven. That's the start. Christian is a person with a different relationship to sin than he had before he knew Christ. His, his whole reaction to sin is different once he knows Christ. One who is not born of God is not only guilty in terms of his sin. John says, verse 19, he is in the power of the evil one. You see that? He, he, he lives in a state. He lives in a condition, a permanent condition of, of sinfulness. He's, he's dominated even when he doesn't think he is. By the devil, by darkness, by constant self-deception. It's not just that he does bad things once in a while. Paul says he walks according to the course of this world. He walks in darkness. I know, 
I know people make occasional efforts to improve themselves. They can do that. They can set goals. They make resolutions. Certain areas of life can be cleaned up. Non-Christians can quit smoking or drinking or lose weight if they need to. They can stop cheating on their spouse. Atheists can do those things. But none of those things change the essential nature of the person outside of Christ. They are still 19, under the power of the evil one. They, they can't get out. Now, in our text, John describes those who are born of God, 18. Let me ask you something. Where do you think this old apostle John, where do you think he got that image of birth? born of God. Can you think of where he might have gotten it? He got it from Jesus. He got it from Jesus. And Jesus used that image for a really good reason. Talked about the need to be born again. Born of the Spirit. When you think of it, there's no greater gap than the gap between those who are born and those who have never been born. I mean, there's no greater gap, no greater difference than the one between those who exist and those who don't exist. I mean, the gap between a man and a fly is a gigantic gap, but at least both the man and the fly are creatures. At least they both exist. You can point to each one and say, there's the man, there's the fly. But there are no points of comparison at all between a person who exists and a person who doesn't exist. In John's theology, born of God, it marks as drastic a change as physical birth makes to earthly existence. John says God's seed has been planted in you. You have been changed from the inside. Something is now in you that wasn't in you before you came to Christ. And that life manifests itself. You've been taken out of one realm, the Bible says, and placed into another. Your will, of course, it's still involved in your daily living. You have to make good decisions, but you have been enabled. You have been empowered. There are new possibilities for obeying God and pleasing God. John says, we know, here's what we know for sure. Anybody who's in Christ, they don't continue living in willful sin. They just don't. Of course they don't, he's saying. Goes without saying. This new aspect of your existence is marked more than anything else by this. Your whole life has been set in a different reaction to sin. Your whole your whole operating system makes a definite break with ongoing sin. Being in sin isn't your natural state anymore. You may still fail. You may still fall into sin. But even your old habits start to become more alien to your new nature. Over time, as you grow in Christ, to take sin into your being is like drinking vinegar. I'm just not sure... I'm just not sure this gets stressed enough in the church anymore. Something has, 
something has kind of filtered into the church. I don't mean just this church. I mean the church that would never have been tolerated for a minute a hundred years ago. I think in an effort maybe to sound humble, Christian people can say things that almost pass for an excuse for sinning down the road. God, I know I'll never be all you want me to be. I'm just so glad you love me just the same. Or I'm not, I'm not perfect, I'm just loved. And understand me, it's not that those statements are untrue. I don't deny them for a minute. But, but they still carry a certain danger. I mean, they fail to emphasize this most important part of the truth. You, you can emphasize grace in such a way that you, you never really even plan on the transforming power of grace. It's power to make you holy, to keep you from sin, to change your affections. Well, Pastor Don, you read it. After all, this whole world, John says, lies under the power of the evil one. And that's right. The world does. You don't. That's the whole point of the New Testament. This world is hopelessly rooted in a continuous course of growing unrighteousness. You can't help but see it everywhere you look. We're proud of sins. Ultimately, the world can do nothing else. But John says, you and I have been delivered from the power of the enemy, filled with the spirit of holiness. God's seed abides in us. Let me just keep thinking about this for a minute. It is true that a brother can commit a sin. John, for example, talked about it in this 16th verse. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, God will give him life. We, we talked about that sin unto death thing. I'm not going into that right now. Clearly, a brother can sin. But it's so painful for him to do so, and it's upsetting, apparently, for the whole body of Christ, so much so that it sets people to pray for that brother like crazy. That's the whole point of that 16th verse. You, you get the impression from John that while a Christian may fall into sin, it's not something to be expected. It's certainly not something to be accepted. I mean, it, it sets the sinner to confessing, and it sets the church to praying. That's because everyone's on the same page. The whole church is on the same page. Of course, you can't profess to follow Christ and continue in sin. Of course not. The whole church had that common mind. Something's terribly wrong when a Christian sins. It's like discovering the plague. I mean, God certainly can, certainly does forgive us when we confess our sin. But sin in the Christian is viewed as essentially out of character when it happens. Horribly unusual, a distorted kind of behavior. This is John's first point in these closing verses. Never view sin, never view sin as an acceptable part of your walk with Jesus. Don't develop the casual habit of just mopping up repeated sin with the blood of Jesus. 
never come to live with sin. That's John's point. Being born of God makes sin as foreign and unacceptable as COVID-19. I know we aren't perfect. Just as we're born of God, that's John's phrase, we must grow in Christ. That's Paul's phrase. But but you see, every every Lord's Day, as we as we gather, we celebrate the power of the resurrection, the power of resurrection life in Jesus. I mean, every Lord's Day, we gather to give demonstration of a power that's greater than death. We're not just paying homage to a creed or a set of beliefs. So in spite of what you might see at the front of most churches, we gather around an empty grave, not just a cross. We gather to give declaration and demonstration of what it means to be seated with Christ in heavenly places, of having God's seed abide in us. And we're called, we are called to make that reality visible. Yesterday we were with uh, some friends watching the British Open. That's golf, in case you don't. And we were discussing, do you know, so you see the players, the golfers, they've got their shirt on and, and it'll say Titleist or it'll say Under Armour or it'll say, it'll say Net Jets or it'll say um, Callaway. Do you know there are people, get this, there are people who do n- nothing but executives with these companies, they sit with a computer and they watch the four hours or the five hours and they mark every time their brand appears on the television screen. They do. Because they want it displayed. And so they'll know in the four hours that that telecast is on that the Callaway brand appeared 631 times. They tabulate that because they want to make sure it's there. And I even said this out loud. It got me thinking. Paul, Paul talks about how Christians are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Specifically, he says, and he died for all that we should live no longer for ourselves. I just wondered if, if, someone, was, if someone was tracking me. You know, it's easy to think of other people. We all just have to think of ourselves. If someone was tracking me, watching me, how many times does, how many times in the 24-hour day does that brand manifest itself? If people saw the way we, if people saw how much money we spent on our houses and on our cars and on our cottages and on our pools and on our boats and on our holidays and on our clothes, if they just followed us around, would they say, boy, those people, they sure don't live for themselves. They're just living for Christ. Is that what they would see? What kind of brand would they see? Would they look and see, wow, that's just like Jesus. We're called to display this. 
It's not complete yet, but it's supposed to be real. It's supposed to be living. It's supposed to be actual right now in this fallen world. They can see the proof of the fall everywhere they look. Just watch the news. But the proof of the power of the risen Christ in a life. No wonder, John says, of course, of course we know Christians don't continue in sin. There's no brand there at all. If you then have been raised with Christ, if that's true, that's what he's saying. Seek those things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Does that mark the North American church? For, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, great word, that one, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, Paul and John, same, the same truth. Conversion doesn't just bring Jesus into my life. I accepted Jesus. I asked him into my heart. We, we, we talk about that all the time. But it brings my life into his. The Bible says my life is, we read it here, hidden with Christ in God. Let, let that sink in. So what's the very first thing we know? The very first thing we know, John says, is this. It is a given. It is certain. It is universal. And it is absolutely going without saying. If you're following Jesus, you, put, you confess that sin. They don't continue in willful sin. When you sin, it breaks your heart. And you can't wait to get rid of it. You bring it to the cross. Where if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we don't live in sin. We live in Christ. And if you agree with me, don't say amen. Say, I get it, Pastor Don. Oh, say it louder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is like a sword. Hebrews is right. It, it cuts into our lives at places where we're tender a little bit. Let us be clean. Even while we're not yet perfect, let us be clean in terms of no willful continuance in sin. No willful ignoring the Holy Spirit. No willful holding back of confession. 
but we, we bring it into the light. We walk in the light. And we part company with iniquity. Give us strength this week to do it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.